is Australia. This fucking language. Let there be a thousand blossoms blooms as far as I'm concerned. But I ain't spending any time on it. Don't stop wearing the Speedos. You're listening to Decode, the Tudor Advocate's new podcast series for those Australians who have tuned out or never tuned in to the dark arts of federal politics. It's called being, you wouldn't believe it, a goddamn bloody adult. Hello and welcome back to another edition of News from the Trough. The dust is starting to settle after a big weekend. The political landscape looks vastly different to what it did seven days ago, so we're going to try and figure out where everything has landed and what is going to happen in the upcoming weeks and months and years. Uh, today, we are joined by a special guest. He's the Channel 9 political guru. He's covered plenty of elections, and he was in fine form on Saturday night, if you were watching the Channel 9 coverage. Charles Croucher joins the show once again, a friend of the show. Thanks for coming down, Charles. Well, great to be back on. Now, it is a pleasure to have you. They were working you pretty hard on Saturday night. <laughs> the... Coalition government got the big ukulele out of here, uh, one of the features of coverage. Now, just wondering, from your perspective, as we said, you've covered a fair few elections here in Australia, overseas, places like America. What was the biggest takeaway from all of this for you? So the shock for me, I mean, there's been lots written about the Teals, and certainly there's a huge result for them. The Greens result is phenomenal. It, it was just how few people decided they liked the two major parties. We're mm. talking about a combined primary vote, that is the combined people that put number one, at somewhere like 66, maybe 68%. I mean, one in three people voted for someone else. We've never seen anything like that before in Australia. It's showing that this loyalty, I mean, John Howard used to say, you'd win 35%, you'd lose 35%. It's the other 30% that matter in elections. That's gone. That's been blown out of the water. Those rusted on voters don't exist anymore. And the thing I think is most of note and looking forward, the coalition is going to be down to maybe 60 seats. It is a long way back to government from 60 seats. Now, with fewer rusted on and loyal voters, maybe it's easier but that's going to be a tough climb, particularly for those that are talking about doing it in three years. You know, you've got to win 16 seats just to get yourself back in government. That's before you start, uh, you know, looking at holding onto the seats you've already won. And that is just tough. Mm. You know, people don't win 16 seats in elections. It is so hard to do. Um, so I, that's what sort of alarmed me if I was a coalition advisor most is not just that we lost, but both where they lost you know, in their heartland. So you've got to win back people in your heartland. That means conservative values, but also in places like Western Australia where you're losing to Labor. So you've got to sort of try and fight a battle on the left as well. It's going to be really tough for whoever takes over. And even losing that heartland seat of Ryan, I think it was, in Brisbane to the Greens. I mean, that's yeah. that would, would that have even been something they expected? Obviously, they were expecting a threat, but to lose that seat, I, I didn't even really hear it talked about in the lead up to the election. That wasn't a seat that was being discussed at all. Uh, and there are a lot of those, you know, it's hanging over in WA, Scott Morrison's uh, best mate in Parliament. Uh, ben Morton's lost his seat. He didn't campaign there because he mm. travelled around with the Prime Minister. That's how safe they thought that was. So there's a number of these seats that just wouldn't have been on the radar. Uh, and a number of these seats are going to, you know, really think about how they fight. And that, that the fabric holding the coalition together, that idea of a broad church is being so challenged. 
because, and this is another part of the story, uh, the Nationals won all their seats, right? Mm. So the Nationals are going to have more power in the coalition. They just that, that is the coalition formula. You know, I spoke to, to Matt Canavan, who was on our coverage. We we're having a beer after the election. And he said, you know, he'd already done the math about what the makeup of the shadow cabinet would be. And the Nationals get more, he said. So he's expecting more members of that shadow cabinet to be Nationals. And, and you know, that comes with its own uh, set of ideals and, and set of priorities. And that's something that the new leader is going to have to balance uh, along with the priorities of the people, the voters that they lost. And the Nats were getting pretty uppity before the um, previous election, before this election, yeah. sorry. You know, we saw all the, the fights over net zero, 2050, that sort of stuff. So now they have an increased power. So... The Liberals are going to have to deal with the Nats as well as trying to win back seats over the next couple of years. And a huge chunk of that coalition vote. I think it was, from memory, looking at like you know, 22 out of the 60-odd seats are going to be in Queensland. Mm. So it's become this party dominated by Queenslanders. A third, of, a third of the lower house party room will be from Queensland. They've got a good representation in the Senate as well. So that, that presents its own list of priorities. So it's a, it's a fascinating challenge. Mm. The, the huge challenges for the globally are, of course, with the government. But there is a whole lot of internal um, realigning that's going to go on in the coalition that I'm fascinated by. Yeah. What do you think were the biggest factors in this landslide loss? And what do you think they're going to try and do over the next kind of couple of months to figure out where their base lies and how they realign and recalibrate, similar to what the Labor Party did in 2019 after their loss? Yeah. Uh, look, it seems that the, the Prime Minister was an issue. And, and, and when you campaign on Scott Morrison, as they did three years ago, then you've kind of got to dance with the one that brung you three years later, and that's what they've done, right? And and the fact that this uniform swing came in all different parts of the country with all different issues at hand it kind of tells you that the, the leadership was, was lost, uh, and Scott Morrison himself admitted that. Uh, beyond that, it is... The thing that stood out is the people that are real politicians, that, are, that seem like real people, that, you know, real is a word we use too often and, and doesn't, no one really knows what it means. But that reliance on let's go back to talking points and just go through, you know, there was a terribly disciplined campaign, like a really disciplined campaign from the Liberal Party. Scott Morrison was campaigning on election day on our program and he was so on message. I'm wondering whether that's just no longer the way to get across to voters. Maybe both political parties have gotten too good at that. Mm. And then when you get someone like these these Teal Independents or like the Greens or even like Bridget Archer down in Tasmania who had this thin margin in the seat of Bass, there's a swing on Nationwide. She's going to hold on to a seat. Peter Dutton's kind of the same, right? Thin margin in Dixon, swing on Nationwide. He's his own politician He's going to hold on to his seat. So maybe that's the thing that will come out when both parties do their, their focus groups afterwards, that we can't, we as voters aren't going to cop the same old lines being touted regardless of the question, you know, regardless of, of what the issue is mm. going back to those talking points. But maybe it just doesn't work anymore. And yeah. that's why those real politicians, Jackie Lambie, looks like she's going to pick up a second Senate seat. You know, David Pocock's going to win his spot in the Senate. Like, there's all these big characters that had their own style. I mean, Jackie Lambie uh, potentially being in a position of the balance of power from Tasmania is a perfect example. If people are genuine, uh, I think voters will 
seems like they will align for them more. And that's going to be the big challenge for the Teal independence moving forward too, is to be able to stick to what got them elected mm. while still trying to get something for their electorates from what is a, a pretty big and uh, potentially a very uninfluential crossbench. Yeah, I want to ask you uh, in a little bit about how the Teals are going to work going forward. But yeah, is it a little bit like social media that people over time have worked out that the super polished, the super clean and crisp image isn't actually what they're after. They want something a little bit real, a little bit rough around the edges, something that kind of reflects modern life a little bit more. And that's maybe what we're seeing with the Teals and Bridget Archer and um, uh, Tammy Tyrrell down there in Tasmania uh, and David Pocock as well. And, you know, politicians coming through with just a real persona and real kind of relatable and an actual relatable uh, attitude, not something that is manufactured by listening to focus groups and going to the footy and eating a pie and doing that sort of stuff. I think so. Maybe that's even what's being shown overseas. You know, Boris Johnson, for all his flaws, and there are many, uh, has been elected on that that way. Joe Biden is that way as well. Donald Mm. Trump is that way. Look, Bernie Sanders, like the really popular um, politicians are pretty ill-disciplined when it comes to messages or they're certainly not what if you went to a, a political machine and said, spit me out the perfect candidate. They're not that, but they're winning. Um, yeah. so, so there might be something in that. I, you know, that's going to be a fascinating thing for the electorates to look at. Uh, you know, and even the idea of just letting candidates off the leash a bit. You know, mm. the way that, the, way that, um, that the Labor uh, hung on to that ground in the Hunter and Patterson and Shortland with those candidates that were a bit, a bit wild, but that was going to be their, that was the territory where they were going to be, you know, under threat apparently from the Nationals and then up with a swing to Labor. It's because they were, they were genuine candidates down there and, and they're making up a pretty important chunk of the caucus now. Mm, part of a representative democracy. Now, Something like that. Saying it's going to be very difficult for a Liberal National Coalition to win back government in 2025 just because of the sheer amount of seats they've lost. Yeah. They are starting to recalibrate, as you said, and it looks like Peter Dutton is going to be the next leader. Do you have any kind of thoughts about what, his strategy might be going forward and how smart that is, given what we saw with the reception to Scott Morrison at this election. Peter Dutton is quite similar in a lot of the kind of policies that he offers and obviously the personality as well. Yeah. What have you what do you make of Peter Dutton becoming the next leader? Yeah, if Scott Morrison's a bulldozer, Peter Dutton is going to be just one of those like a sledgehammer attached to a bulldozer attached to something even bigger. The biggest um, D six. Steam, steamroller, exactly, yeah. yeah. Uh, part of the, the defence kitty used to like getting around it. Look, I think a couple of things about Peter Dutton. Um, one, he will be a very disciplined opposition leader. I think he saw how effective Tony Abbott was in that role. And I know a lot of the Labor people were really hoping it would be Peter Dutton, thinking that's going to be better for them in the future. But I'd just say be careful what you wish for. You know, this is a guy who has a strong base of conservative support and they support him. They're rusted on. The Liberals always had a bit of a, a query about Scott Morrison until he won that election. That's not there with Peter Dutton. The other thing is he's taken on some of the toughest portfolios, be it uh, immigration when it was immigration, home affairs, border security, and then defence, and he's done quite well in them. They're also ones that require you to be a bit hard-nosed. And the thing that would surprise most voters, I think, and most people, is that Peter Dutton's a really lovely bloke. One-on-one, and when you talk to him, he actually is quite genuine. If he and his team can show that to the electorate, I think they'll be uh, quite surprised at the effect. And he's coming in with low expectations. And that's a dangerous spot to be if you are running against Peter Dutton because low expectations can lead to uh, increased results. 
it's a huge challenge, mm. huge challenge. But, uh, you know, I think just be careful if you are one of those Labor supporters that think this is fantastic because uh, Peter Dutton might surprise you in a few ways. He can play the underdog card perfectly. And you look around the rest of the party room there and um, not a lot of other hands are flying up. There's no one else. But he's the obvious choice. What they need to do is find someone from Victoria uh, or someone from somewhere that's not Queensland and try and build the brand because the state Liberal parties are decimated elsewhere as well. Look at WA. <laughs> I mean, they've got no one in the... They've got two members in the parliament. Yeah, they're no a minor party, essentially. There's a 10% swing against them. Mm. And they're, they're that around the grounds. They lost South Australia. You know, New South Wales is up for grabs shortly. They're, they're hoping for a result in Victoria this year. Look, they've got a, a big couple of years ahead to see if this coalition first holds together and second can hold power anywhere. That's a huge challenge for them, and, and that'll be a fascinating part. The other thing I should mention, you know, there is a negative perception in, in a lot of the electorate's mind of Peter Dutton and uh, Tanya Plebiscet coming out and saying the Voldemort thing, whilst it was childish, it was petty, she's apologised. If that's the idea that sticks in the mind of voters, that could be brutally effective from Tanya Plebiscet as well. Yeah, yeah. So that has come out this morning, and I did want to ask you about that. Do you think that was the calculated play or do you think it was just they hadn't been they haven't been in government for so long that they're not used to or they're not um kind of fully across subconsciously the standards that they need to be held to do you think it was one of those ones that you can fire off from opposition or do you think there was something more to it you know do you think there was potentially tanya plibersek goes out there and says that and that allows anthony albanese to come out as a strong leader and say tanya that's not acceptable we don't stand for this in our government but it's still planted the seed of Voldemort in people's minds. It feels more like the latter. Tanya Plebiscet not someone that's been known for just sprouting mm. off her mind or sprouting off attacks. I mean, there's been much worse things said about a lot of politicians in the past. There's been other Harry Potter references. I remember when uh, when uh, Bronwyn Bishop was Speaker of the House and people were comparing her to to the, the headmistress at, at the Hogwarts during the dark days of Hogwarts. Like, you know, I mean, that's happened before. Uh, this feels like a, a deliberate attack and an early blind side on the potential leader. Yeah, okay, interesting. Crossing to their coalition colleagues, there has been murmurs growing that uh, Barnaby Joyce's leadership could be slipping on the National Party. Um, there was a lot of stuff made about how Barnaby Joyce and the Nationals had affected the Liberals' votes in those um, metro and urban and regional areas, and more sort of urban regional areas. Firstly, did you make anything of that? Do you think Barnaby Joyce was responsible for voters walking away from the Liberal Party? And um, then secondly, where can you see a leadership challenge coming from? It strikes me the other obvious um, uh, person to lead the Nationals would be mm. David Littleproud um, in terms of strong seat, a good performer, younger. I mean, he's also from Queensland, so at some point the Coalition have to look outside of Queensland, even though so much of their caucus comes from there. Um, look, Darren Chester would be another person who could consider himself a possibility. He's more from the, the sort of progressive Michael McCormack wing of the party. Whether he'd have enough support, mm. I'd be surprised, given that the actual makeup of the party room hasn't changed that much. You know, if David Littleproud can have a challenge on Monday, he's our local member out here in Maranoa, so he'd be putting Baturta on the map. Um, mm. would be would be exciting for us in that sense. But um, we'd be curious to see what happens next Monday. Now, wanted to move across to the cross benches, um, the Teals, the Greens, a couple of independents in there. There's been a lot of demands, a lot of things 
uh, offered up and made by the various crossbenchers. Climate change aside, how realistic are mm. a lot of these kind of demands that these uh, crossbenchers have made? Is this something that we can kind of expect to see a few of them get up or is it more just the main tenets of the um, climate change and a federal ICAC? I would think they'd have to get organised and get organised fast if they want to set some priorities. ICAC, I think, will go. That, that's something that will get up. Uh, the thing is, if, if Labor settle on 76 or 75 seats, they're not really going to need the crossbench. And that's the problem. You know, all the questions before the election were about who the crossbenchers would support in the event of a hung parliament. My question was what they were going to do if they mm. wasn't a hung parliament. You know, it's a pretty lonely place being an independent. You can't do a whole lot from the crossbench if you don't have that balance of power. They can lobby, they can debate, they can vote, but they don't have a vote in the caucus room for Labor, and that's where the real control will come from. I think if they can get the Greens on board, Labor, then they're fine. That's two votes, three votes, potentially four votes, depending on how the chips land in the House, plus the 12 they need in the Senate, which is the important part as well. You know, the really influential crossbenchers this term of parliament are going to be Jackie Landy and David Pocock because they will hold, if Labor and the Greens side on one side of the Senate, the coalition's on the other with One Nation and some of the minor parties there, it's going to be Jackie Landy and it's going to be David Pocock that can provide the three votes, it looks like, to get legislation through. So those teal independents are going to find it really tough, but they just have to lobby and, and try and get things done their way. The other thing I would say is that look at that crossbench. It's a mm. varied crossbench. Any piece of legislation that Labor's going to put up, you you would think will be out of Ghana the one or two votes they only may need they, they may not but they may need from either Bob Catter and Rebecca Sharkey or on the other side of the scale Andrew Wilkie and the Greens like that's how broad mm. the cross branch is and that's ignoring the teals in the middle as well so the votes will always be there for Labor in the lower house I think you know the teals are going to have a a long lesson in being an independent and how tough the crossbench can be. But if they're loud, if they're vocal, if they use the momentum they've got in the election, hey, maybe. Yeah, lots of noise. Look, hopefully David Pocock, uh, if this ICAC gets up, the federal ICAC, hopefully he can um, get it to have a look into why so many Waratahs consistently get picked for the Wallabies um, as a AC, former ACT Brumby and Wallaby. Hopefully he can get ICAC to look at that. Uh, on the teals, how can you see them organizing what's going to be the play there like they obviously they're all independents yep. who have the same goals in mind but they, there has to be some organization there doesn't there there should be if they're going to vote effectively. Look, for them, their number one goal should be representing their community and being re-elected. There's a lot of independents that once they're in, they're almost impossible to get out. Look at Andrew Wilkie. He's one of those. So if you're the teal, your whole goal should be getting re-elected in three years' time. That means speaking up because you can. You can speak up about every little local electorate, take it to parliament, publish that out to the electorate, make sure people know you. And then next time around, maybe you're a bigger block. Maybe more people get on board the teal bandwagon, and that's how they make make their power felt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be interesting to see how they go if they can back it up in twenty twenty five. All right, it's all going to make for an exciting time, as you said. There might be lots of noise. Just quickly, um, Charles, before you have to run off, wanted to ask any new characters or any favourite characters that you've seen pop up uh, from this election. My personal fave is Sam Lynn over in uh, Tangney. There, the former dolphin trainer. Dolphin um, trainer offered up some nice words. Yeah, yeah. He's the new member over there in Western Australia. He's my personal favourite who's popped up. Any for you? Any that you're kind of keen to keep an eye on? Look, Repa Coley down in the Hunter will be interesting. I think he's going to be uh, he's going to be a bit of fun. Um, the big fella, the old the shooter from that had yep. things yeah, to yep. say big, in India. Big bearded shooter. Be, that's him. He'll be a good, a good local MP to look at. 
Uh, the, the other one, Di Lee in Fowler, looks like a great, um, a great independent yes. candidate as well. I think she's going to be a lot of fun. And then keep your eye on Jackie Lambie and, and the fact that her power is doubled. That's going to make for a, a hell of a thing. Always exciting, and I'm excited to see what Tammy Tyrrell offers up as well. Um, yeah. So, yeah, the fun should keep rolling. Thanks very much for joining us, Charles. Uh, always great to have your insights into what's going on, and um, look forward to talking to you soon. Anytime. See you.